You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Everybody say praise the Lord. Amen. It's the last night of the Origin Series. Everybody say praise the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. And uh, we're excited to be in the house of the Lord. Thank you for being here tonight. And uh, thank God for a wonderful spirit we felt here tonight. What a tremendous time we had last night in prayer. Amen. A prayer meeting. Thank you to everyone that made their way out to the house of the Lord. And just so excited about what God is doing, the good things God is doing. Amen. Around here. Uh, I have a presentation timer that I use, but it has just converted to some Asian language. And so I don't know if I'm going to hit the right button or not. It, we'll see. It's counting numbers, so this works. So we'll see. So amen. Praise the Lord. I printed out all of the uh, notes for this series, 30 pages long. And so tonight we're going to summarize. And uh, these are just here for looks, so we're not going to go through these. Um, but they are handing out a little summary, and we'll look at that in just a moment together. Um, but uh, then at the, at the end of this tonight, we're going to give you question, uh, question time, Lord willing. Uh, that's the plan here, to get into some question time. And if you have a uh, question, uh, I'd like for you to ask that if you're here in the room. I know I had several people text me and say, Pastor, we're not able to make it. We're online tonight. And so they're going to put something on the screen, I believe, that's going to give the church phone number, which I have here. And you can send your question in by text for those that are not here with us uh, tonight. We covered a lot of ground. It's taken us now 23 weeks to do so. And we are here in chapter number 11. And so we're going to pick up with the very last segment of chapter number 11. And so for me, allow me to get to page 29 of my notes. The very last page, the very last segment of my notes here. And we're going to cover this. How many have enjoyed this uh, journey through Genesis chapter 1 through 11? Such rich passages of Scripture. Give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. Thank God for His Word. Thank God for His truth. And we give God glory and honor and praise. And uh, forgive me. Thank you for bearing with me. And forgive me if I, it has taken a little bit long to get through here. But there was some things that I did feel that I needed to lay some groundwork for and to explain and to talk about. And uh, so we're picking up here. Last week we talked about the Tower of Babel. We covered that. Uh, I, I won't rehash that, but we were coming into chapter 11, and he's telling us now man's rebellion after we've gotten into the new world, after the flood, man's rebellion is such that he decides that he's going to make a great name for himself. Now we have surmised that perhaps they're building this tower because they indeed wanted to escape the judgment of God. Scripture does not necessarily say that, and so we always have to be cautious in our speculations. But one thing that it does say is that they were denying God, uh, and they were desiring to build a tower. In verse 4, it says, Let us uh, go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make a name 
lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth, which is what God had commanded them. So they are in defiance against the very word of God. And so God now looks down, having already made the promise that he would not destroy the earth again with a flood. And he says, there's nothing with, there's nothing with holding uh, withholding from these people. If they set their mind to it, they're going to accomplish many things. And so to slow that progress down, this is literally what the text is telling us, to slow that progress down, God chooses to confound their language, to their languages. And so this is a massive statement because here... Our Bible, our Holy Bible, is making a stab that no other text has ever done, and that is not only proclaiming the origin of all humanity, but now proclaiming the origin of all languages, and this is where it comes from. And the interesting thing to note that we highlighted last week is that when God did divide the people according to languages, He divided them according to families. No one but God could do that. And God kept that intact. And he sets about this division, and from that there they then scatter, and the progress of man is slowed down. We have now seen in just perhaps our lifetime, those of us that are in this room, perhaps within our lifetime, we have just really seen in the last, uh, uh, you could say maybe the argument, even the couple hundred years where really cultures from all around the world could really come together, and really it was the advent of the Internet that has made it so... Uh, speedy for us to get to a place where man can work together now and break down those barriers. And we are seeing the rapid, uh, let's see, uh, uh, race towards uh, man's own end. And, and, and this race, this progress of technology, this progress of governments and politics and policies and all of this stuff is really in deference to God without any regard to God. And so now we are in an interesting time because even if you were to make the argument that perhaps there's a possibility that we're not in the end time and the end is still yet delayed, even if that was the case, we are in an interesting time because God is going to do something. And so now this brings us to a place. I think we could see where maybe this is the end. And this is all wrapping up. This is all coming to where now what is the next thing that God is going to do to uh, bring in his judgment, to make a statement. He's getting this world ready. Folks, we better be ready right now. Amen. So if you're looking at anything in this, this this rapidly makes you want to jump from chapter 11 to the book of Revelation, chapter number one, and say, okay, wow, (laughs) this is where we're at. This is the things that we need to hear to. What is the Spirit saying to the church? This is what we need to pay attention to, what's going on in our own hearts. So let's pick up if we can. Now we come through that. God scatters them out, and now we come to verse 10, and now this is a unique thing because in chapter 10, we had Noah's descendants uh, 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 with uh, Japheth, Ham, and then Shem, and in chapter 10, Shem's, uh, 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 Shem's descendants is largely the descendants of the Hebrews. It's highlighting the descendants of the Hebrews because it says in chapter 10, verse 21, And Shem also the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth the elder, even to him were children born. The highlight there of the phrase, the father of all the children of Eber, is, is where uh, Eber is where the, the term Hebrews come from. Uh, we, most scholars believe. And so 
This is highlighting the Hebrews. But now in chapter 11, we're, we're not just looking at the Hebrews, but we're actually following the Messianic line. We're connecting Shem, who is connected to Noah, who is connected to Adam uh, through the genealogy here. But now we're connecting to Abraham. And this is very significant because it's through Abraham that God's going to bring the Messiah. So go on and let's read verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. Mm -hmm. Shem was 100 years old and begat Arphaxad two years after the flood. Two years after the flood, all right. And Shem lived after he begat Arphaxad 500 years and begat sons and daughters. Yes. And Arphaxad lived five and 30 years. 35 years, yes. And begat Salah. Yes. And Arphaxad lived after he begat Salah uh, 403 years and begat sons and daughters. Yes. And Salah lived 30 years and begat Eber. Okay, so here's Eber, the father of the Hebrews. Let's just pause for a moment, if you can. Arphaxad, that's, that's a unique name, obviously. You can't forget that one. Um, uh, lives here about 450 years, somewhere in that time, but he was born two years after the flood. His lifestyle, uh, his life alone would have seen such great, incredible massive climate change after the global flood, after a total destruction. And so he's living through this as this earth is recovering. This is quite an incredible thing just to pause and to highlight and to think about. And yet we, we fast forward right through that. We're skipping right through here. And I want to recommend you to go back and see the movie uh, is Genesis History. It's a documentary, incredible documentary. You may not agree with everything, but it's definitely thought-provoking, and it has a lot of good content. I think makes some of the best arguments. Is Genesis History. You can also go to isgenesishistory.com. You can purchase it. You can watch it on Amazon Prime. Other ways, it's about an hour and 45 minutes long, but it is well worth your time for as a, as a Christian, as a Bible believer, the apologetics of this documentary I would highly recommend this. Get your family together. Sit your children together. It's got some interesting things. And say, we're going to listen to this. It's well worth your money. Amen. Let's read on. And Salah lived after he begat Eber 403 yes. years mm -hmm. and begat sons and daughters. All right. And Eber lived four and 30 years and begat Peleg. All right. Who, where the earth was divided in those days, whether it was literally the continents divided or most likely included the, the reference to the fact that the world as we know it, the, the people, the nations divided, probably Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel explained in his lifetime. Go on. And Eber lived after he begat Peleg 430 years yes. and begat sons and daughters. Yes. And Peleg lived 30 years and begat Ru. Mm -hmm. And Peleg lived after he begat Ru 209 years and begat sons and daughters. Okay. And Ru lived 230 years and begat Sarug. And Ru lived after he begat Sarug 207 years and begat sons and daughters. Yes. And Sarug lived 30 years and begat Nahor. And Sarug lived after he begat Nahor 200 years and begat sons and daughters. Yes. And Nahor lived nine and 20 years and begat Terah. Yes. And Nahor lived after he begat Terah 119 years and begat sons and daughters. Okay, does anybody notice anything here? They're getting, their lifespan is getting shorter and shorter. Mm -hmm. So something changed. And now the process of this new climate, there is some kind of of degeneration that we see, that natural, that science would would uh, 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 corroborate as well. But their lifespan is getting younger and younger. Yes, go on, read. And Terah lived 70 years and begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Okay, so now there's a unique distinction because it gives 10 generations and then 
it gives the listing of all three sons, sort of like the same before uh, Noah. And now read on. Now these are the generations of Terah. Yes. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. Okay. And Haran died before his father, Terah, in the land of his nativity, yes. in Ur of the Chaldees. Yes. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah. Yes. And the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. Yes. But Sarah was barren, and she had no child. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from the Ur of the Chaldees yes. to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And Terah died in Haran. So here we close out the chapter with Terah, the father of Abram. And we see the lineages all come down. In verse 27, we see now these are the generations of Terah. And, and that phrase there we highlighted is used six times in uh, uh, the account uh, from Genesis chapter 1 through 11. And so this whole... Uh, uh, process is sort of divided into six different books or six different collections, some lo longer than the other. But we come down to Terah now, Abram's son. They're living in Ur of Chaldees, which is a very interesting uh, place over there in where we would call Persia today or Syria, over in that Mesopotamian area. And Terah actually leaves Ur, and he's on his way to Canaan. And we see this, and, and to wrap up the story before it gets into the context, it sort of finishes this story. And on his way, they stop and they settle. And then when they settle to finish the story, it lets us know that Terah died there. And then in chapter 12, it's going to pick up and it's going to begin the, the, the story of Abram. And it's going to tell us that God spoke to him and God pulled him out, called him to a land of promise, and he left and he went to the land of Canaan. And, uh, but Terah has, has not passed away yet. We know later on uh, uh, that he would pass away after Abram would leave because he'd say, get out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house, which tells us in chapter 12, verse 1, that his father's still living because if his father had died, it wouldn't be his father's house, it'd be his house. He would have inherited that. But God called him out of that. And so, but chapter 11 is just giving us the end of Terah's life because chapter 12 is going to start a whole new division. So what we read in these is just the genealogies. And what it's really doing is it is defining for the children of Israel, the people of God, those that are chosen and called out, those of Abraham's seed. It is connecting them to Noah. Shem's son, and then through Shem's lineage comes Abram. And Abram is the one to whom God's going to make a covenant, a new covenant. They're going to live. And ultimately, Messiah is going to come out of his lineage. And so this is an incredible thing. Now it's making it personal. It's drawing them in. This is your heritage. And distinctly connecting them back to Noah. Now, if you overlap the years that it gives us here in the times and and uh, we, we have no reason to not believe or to follow the, the, the timeline that it's given us because it's given us they were this many old, such and such was born, then they lived this many more, then they died, then such and such was so old. and they So it's giving us 
a mathematical thing. Some people say, oh, you can't count that because there's gaps and all this stuff. Well, then why is the text being so implicit on giving us these details? I think that's a really hard thing. You have to sort of dismiss. You have to do a little bit of um, interesting uh, uh, gymnastics to sort of get around that. This is personally connecting the children of Abraham back to Noah. It's making that distinction. It's making that connection. You are a part of God's creation. And it's spelling everything out for us. Ur of the Chaldees is where he would leave. He would have to leave the city. This would have a a Chaldean influence on it. And he's leaving all the wealth. He's leaving yet another city. Chapter 11 begins with a city that was built based on rebellion. Chapter 11 ends with them leaving a city because God had drawn them out to go to the land of Canaan, which later on He says, I have given to you the place that they would go and that they would purchase. So this final chapter is making the connection. It's after we've gone through everything and established all of the history of the world. Now, this chapter is making that personal connection with the children of Israel. And so we have a summary, and here's our big summary. In chapters 1 through 11, and I'll give you this, you can write this down, there's four major events. And then in Genesis chapters 12 through 50, it turns from event-based, which still tells the stories of characters, but then it goes to four major important figures in their life. So the first 11 chapters really hinge on four major events. Now there's a lot of things we filled in the gaps. We've taken 23 weeks to do that. The four major events of Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are this. The creation, God created. The fall of man, sin, and all the implications that come from that. This should be on your handout, on the top of your handout. The third was the flood, God's judgment and all that that entails, the salvation of Noah and his family. And then the fourth and final major event was the Tower of Babel that God then sends down, confounds the languages, and this is the origin of languages. So we see the history of all humanity wrapped up in these four major events. Then when you go on, and we're not going to do that, but when you go on in Genesis chapter 12 through 50, it transitions to four different people that God has a covenant with. Because you are not just living a series of unfortunate events. But God is a God that is personal. And He wants to have a personal relationship. And to convince them that God wants to have a personal relationship with them, He tells the story of people that He had a personal relationship with. And the last part of Genesis covers four people, those people being Abraham, Isaac his son, Jacob his son, and then Joseph. And Joseph going, each of them being called by God, given a covenant of God, a progressive revelation of who God is, each of them being used to one day ultimately bless all the people of God the world. You cannot read Genesis and walk out of Genesis and say, thank God I'm a Jew, or I wish I was a Jew, or Jews are the only people that God loves. 
because that is not <laughs> what the text says. Abraham, through you, I will bless all the people of the world. So what Israel was Israel was the were the children of Israel privileged? Yes. They were privileged because they had obedience in their heritage. They had covenant in their heritage. They had communion with God in their heritage. They were privileged because God says, I want to use you to show the rest of the world who I am, to reach the rest of the world, to reveal to them who I am. And we ought to praise and thank God for that. Amen. Clap our hands for that. Amen. And God would concern himself, even after this, God would concern himself with the father of other nations, as we would see even his blessing to the seed, the, the, the children, the lineage of Ishmael. When Abraham got things horribly wrong and way stepped outside of his bounds and messed up and had a... Uh, a son by his wife's handmaiden. When Ishmael comes about and, and then is finally separated, tragically, that's a sad story, dysfunction at its highest, and yet God says, I'm going to bless even the children of Ishmael. And then later on, we see Isaac, and we see Jacob. Isaac uh, ha ha had some weaknesses. And then Jacob. You want to talk about a dysfunctional family. You look at Jacob's family. So much dysfunction. I'm glad that God uses broken, messed up people. Amen. amen. And he doesn't give up on us. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm thankful. Turn to somebody and tell them God can use you. Tell them God can use you. Even in your mess. Right? He does. God works with messes. Yeah. Amen. Now people get sideways because they look at this and say, aha, see, look how bad the Bible is. <laughs> ah, stop focusing on the bad and look how good God is. Right. <laughs> God could have wiped them out. He did it before, but he said, I'm not going to do that again. And so this is a story of God working through and in spite of our mess, not because of our mess. God wasn't endorsing their mess. God was saying, I can work in spite of your mess. I can work in the midst of your mess. This is a pretty messed up family, pretty messed up thing. And, and God uses them. And a uh, beautiful story. Our children, to all of our Sunday school teachers, thank you for your hard labor, time, and investments from frustrations. Today, my son came up, sat on my lap, and proceeded to tell me. My wife and I were talking scripture a little bit. And uh, he wanted to come in and be in the conversation. So we're talking the Bible, and we're just talking scriptures and stuff. And, and Luca come in and he sat on my lap and he said, well, um, um, you know, this is how he starts out a lot of his conversations. And then he just, he just starts talking and rambling. And he said, you know, um, like there was this man named Joseph. And, and Joseph said, you, you meant it for evil. You meant it for evil. And he, he kept getting fumbled up on his words. But, but, but God meant it for good. I said, but that's right. I said, God, God said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for, for good to save all of them. He goes, to save all of them alive. I said, thank God for your Sunday school teacher. Somebody's been teaching him. Amen today. Praise God. That's why you ought to send your kids to Sunday school. So Joseph goes down. He's sold into slavery. You know the story. An incredible 
incredible opportunity. Now he's second in command of all of Egypt. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But man, when it's right there at the tip of your fingers, sometimes you want to exercise a little bit. Joseph wept. He couldn't hold it anymore, the Bible says. He began weeping. No, 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 no. God did it. God did it for a great reason. And God brought them in. He brought them in. And not only did he bring them into Egypt, he blessed them in Egypt. He blessed them while they were there. Gave them great blessings. And that's the beautiful story of redemption that we see through the book of Genesis. This is powerful. But chapters 1 through 11, now it's easy to follow the story and and the narrative gets very interesting. If you haven't read Genesis chapter 12, somebody says, where should I start when I'm reading the Bible? Start in Genesis. It's a great place to start. It's the first book of the Bible. It makes a whole lot of sense to start at the beginning. But it's actually really, really interesting when you follow those storylines. But Genesis chapter 1 through 11 covers so many important things that are under attack, I guess, or under question, or are refuted today. And so real quick, let's go through the summary. We look here, and you've got a little handout. This is just for you. Uh, We'll sort of come through. We went through 11 chapters. The first chapter we see here, the first mention of. This is where the authority, this is the foundation, if you will, of all of these topics and all these things from which the rest, the rest, everybody say the rest, the rest of Scripture is built upon and based upon. So everything else points back and stands on what is established here. So if you don't have the foundation right, your theology is going to be squirrely later on because this is the first mention of it. The first chapter talks about God. It introduces the idea of God, the first mention of God. Time, that we live in a time-space conundrum. Uh, 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 Creation, the very concept of creation. Mankind, and that man is made distinct in two parts or two entities, male and female. Chapter 2 talks about marriage, the institution of God, unashamed uh, male, one man, one man, everybody say one man, one man, one woman, together, this is the institution of marriage. And then also chapter 2 gives us the idea of what the world looked like without sin. And then chapter 3, we are introduced very quickly to the tempter. The tempter comes along, yes, in the form of the serpent. It was He was not a serpent. It was actually the serpent was a tool. Therefore, the tool that yielded to Satan was cursed, did get a curse. But the tempter was Satan. We do know Satan, the devil, our adversary. That reference talked about later on in Scripture. We know the accuser of the brethren. That is established here in chapter 3, the tempter. We see in chapter 3 the fall of man, sin, comes in. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We also see the first mention of the gospel message that there is going to be salvation. You shall bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. We also see after this, we see separation from the garden and the presence of God, that there is a penalty for sin. And and man was forever separated from the garden of Eden. In that moment, God also established the need for clothing because now their innocence was was gone 
and they were aware of their nakedness, and so they must have a covering. And with that covering, there had to be the shedding of blood. All of these first mentions are established in chapter 3. In chapter 4, we see the worship of Cain and Abel. We see their worship before God. We see acceptable worship, and we see unacceptable worship. Somebody says it doesn't matter how you live. I'm here to tell you it does matter how you live. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Acceptable, unacceptable. We see the first murder. We see God's response to murder is absolute. We also see God's protection of Cain in that moment that there would not be another murder and uh, that Cain would live as a witness against uh, this for all man to see, the differing paths of humanity. Then in chapter 4, divulge into ungodly and separate into those who are ungodly and those who call on the name of the Lord. That's an interesting study. Chapter 5, the history of all humanity. We give the, uh, the lineage from Adam to all humanity before the flood, specifically establishing the messianic lineage from Adam. It goes on. In chapter 6, we see a world lost in wickedness, so wicked that God did not just destroy man, but he destroyed all living, all creatures on this earth. He destroyed all plants. He destroyed the earth as it was known. We see Noah as the only lone survivor to walk with God. This is the lowest point, the most catastrophic point in all of Scripture outside perhaps of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is the most tragic moment in all of Scripture. We see God's command for Noah to build an ark. We see God's promised covenant to Noah. Chapter 7, the de devastation of the flood. Chapter 8, the waters recede and we see a new earth. We see them walk out of the ark in a new earth, forever altered. And in this new world, there are new rules that have to be established for man to live. The primary things that he highlights here is man is permitted to eat meat, but man must not uh, be antagonistic against animals. Murder has to be vindicated. Murder is absolutely forbidden. God established that life is in the blood. You're not allowed to eat meat with the blood. And then God establishes that every murder is required to be vindicated by man. And God says, I've established this. Later on, the law would address this under the Moses law. This is new rules for the new world, the Noahic covenant of which we are still living under today. And so without getting into a very uh, complicated uh, uh, type thing, there's a lot of things that we're hearing about even in our news today. You can see today. I am, I am, uh, uh, I, I'm neither Democrat nor Republican, but my ideas have to be shaped by Scripture, and I cannot argue with Scripture. God established very clearly and very plainly that life begins in the blood. Wherever there is blood, there is life. Therefore, he says, you cannot eat anything with the blood. You must eat, he says. He understood in this new world, you must eat meat to survive. You are permitted, but you're not allowed. You should not go around just killing animals for fun. This is, that, that's, that was not the point. But he also elevates 
There is something sacred and uh, 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 the sanctity of human life above all animals. Later on, if you kill an animal, you had to replace that. You had to pay that penalty. But if you take a human life, then you would be required, blood for blood, you would be required to pay with that. Later on in the law, and I express this, God did uh, make allowances, and He said it's so critical that you get that right in that judgment that He made provision. He would rather the guilty go free than for the innocent to be wrongly punished because that's how sacred life is to God. But it was something that God established in Scripture. He gave a rainbow as a sign of His promise. The new world has a rainbow in it that the old world did not have. That tells me today, when I see the rainbow, that I'm still living within the time period of the covenant that God made with Noah. In chapter 9, though, we don't even get out of the chapter and we see that man still needs a Savior. Why? Because the only righteous man got drunk. And we see the curse of Canaan come about. Chapter 10, Noah's descendants. And this is where this scripture, this sacred text, makes a, a, a bold proclamation that no other ancient text so boldly declares and has stood the test of time. And that is that the origin of all people in the world come from Noah following the flood. That's a bold statement that your Bible makes today as it declares where all people in the world come from and generalities, if you will. And then chapter 11 shows us the height of man's arrogance and rebellion, even in light of the flood. People at the day and age of the Tower of Babel would have still been living that would have known Noah. It would have been his great-great-grandchildren that would have surmised together to build the Tower of Babel. And an interesting thing, Abraham, Abram, as Bible first introduces, is born right around two years after the death of Noah. So they were alive with witnesses and testimony, and yet... They rebelled against God. I'm here to tell you, when rebellion gets a hold of your heart, it does not matter the witness and the testimony that stands before you. Your heart will take you places. Amen. That is unimaginable. And then it gives us the history of the Israelites from Seth, or from Shem rather, all the way to Abraham. So much is informed. How we are to live, our obedience to God, how we live in community, even to how we dress and how we talk to one another. Everything is addressed. Human sexuality, lust, greed, prides, angers, everything is addressed in these first 11 chapters. And that is why these 11 chapters are so much under attack today. Because if we can throw these out and only tell the story of Jesus Christ on the gospel coming down, dying on a cross and resurrecting, they don't mind Christianity. Have fun with that story. Have fun with your Easter tradition. But let's throw these out. And let's just dismiss that these are actually real. I was talking with a pastor the other day that said he, he got together in his 
town's uh, uh, clergy meeting. They all come together. And uh, he said, the newest, newest Christian pastor in town came to the meeting and uh, proceeded. He's, he's a young rookie pastor, fresh out of seminary, just took his very first pastor, and he proceeded to tell all of them uh, how they were doing everything wrong, how their statement of faith was wrong, how everything was wrong, proceeded to go on down through all of the things, just, just, just trashing all of Scripture. If I could pull the text up, it was quite startling. Uh, let me pull the text up here. If I can, it was quite startling what he said. And uh, uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, the new 23-year-old pastor who just graduated from seminary was telling us all how our group's statement of faith was trash, how the only thing right in it is that there is one God. He said, David was gay with Jonathan. Abortion was never considered a sin in the Bible. The Bible isn't inerrant or inspired. And Solomon had hundreds of wives, so polymory is okay. That's a 23-year-old pastor, fresh out of seminary today. That is the kind of theology that is circulating in our world today. Not every church that has a steeple is looking upward towards heaven. But every church will be judged by the Word of God that they hold. Even, <laughs> even some of the bad texts, Brother Killian, still would stand in testimony against them. That's why it's so important. That's why I've taken 23 weeks to talk to you about a study of beginnings. Because if we don't get this right, everything else falls and descends. And we might as well just close up shop and go home and live our own lives. Can we pray? God, I thank you today for your word. I thank you for your Holy Ghost. I thank you for your spirit. And I pray tonight that we would take your word to heart, that we would stand on its every word, that we would earnestly contend. And Lord, I pray that we would endeavor to know to be absolute in our mind, our faith in You. I thank You, God, for every truth that You've given to us. You've given it for a reason. You haven't given us this just to skip over, God, but You've given us to study and to know. And to us, God, we have been given a great gift because all of us can have access to Your Word daily. I pray, God, that it would help us in living our lives. God, let us not be persuaded by the spirits and the... Uh, and the scenes of this world and, and, and the politics and our cultures and, and our environments. But Lord, let us be insulated from those things to stand strong upon the true Word of God and to follow after You in Jesus' name. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. Clap your hands unto the Lord tonight.